This morning's reading is from 1 John chapter 2. Uh, We're going to start in verse 18. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from him from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we just come before you um, and continue to worship you um, just with the hope of the words that we just sang, um, that one day, Lord, um, our faith will be sights, and uh, when the trump resounds, the Lord will descend, and we will see you face to face, Jesus, and you, God, you're going to bring your kingdom here. And you're going to make your home and dwell with us here. Uh, Make a new heaven and new earth for us to dwell with you um, forever with Emmanuel, God, with us. And um, that is our hope, Lord. That's always our hope. And I pray that um, that hope would be what drives our worship this morning as we continue to worship you, as as we read your word, your very words to us, that our life and um, that show us your love. So, Lord God, we just uh, come with no apologies as um, your children dependent upon you, hungry, thirsty. We need you. Every hour we need you. And uh, this hour, no less than any any other, Lord, um, your grace has saved us and your grace sustains us. We need you to sustain us now. And thank you for wanting to, even, by your word. Thank you for it. And God, I pray that you'd speak through me. I pray that you'd open our ears, open um, mind, first of all, to what you have uh, to say to us. So God, um, be glorified. Um, may we be edified. And um, yeah, Lord, that we might, we might worship you even more. And we pray this in your matchless name, Jesus, the name above all names. And God's people said, amen. So good morning. How's everybody doing? Um, 
I heard an awesome and a wonderful. That was awesome and wonderful. Um, so we are continuing a s- series in First uh, John, as you know, and it's uh, called Blessed Assurance, and um, it's been great. I trust you've been encouraged by it. Um, if you were here the first week, Dan kind of introed the whole series with a message, um, um, kind of talking about the themes and the structure of the whole book and who John was writing to and why he was writing. And I encourage you to listen to that if you haven't yet. Um, but I was listening to it again this week just to kind of frame, frame this. And um, it's really good. And so what is this blessed assurance? He said, um, just by way of reminder, that it's a joyful confidence that you're headed in the right direction. I think that's a good summary. It's a joyful confidence that you're headed in the right direction. Um, and there's three uh, things he, he even framed that further with. Um, number one, uh, you know you're heading in the right direction when you have the correct starting point and the right foundation. Number two, you have full confidence in the source uh, to get you there. Um, and then number three, you don't change one and two um, just because the landscape around us seems to change. So, so in this journey, we need to know that we've started, we have a foundation, and that doesn't change. We started in Christ. Like, we, we started with what we know of him in the gospel. And number two, full confidence that, uh, that he's going to source us. He's going to um, pro- uh, propel us on that journey. And number three, we don't change the first two. If, if the culture around us, if the world around us is shaky, if, if things are changing around us, and it's a good way to sum up what John is writing about. We've seen that every week, I think, and, and this, this, this morning, no less. Um, Dan also talked about two major detours people take when they're on that journey to veer off the course. And the first one we're going to talk about today, um, it's when we stop believing that Jesus is the one way to the Father. Jesus is the one way to the Father, that he is it. He is the Messiah. Um, as Tony read for us, we're going to focus on Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah. So um, this morning, what we're going to do is just take a high elevation, quick pass over the text and just kind of drop in and, and um, look at a couple things quickly. Um, just for time's sake, there's so much, like every week I'm like, every week I do this, it's like uh, I'm blown away with how much is here. And uh, so we're just going to quickly skim over some, some terms and some thoughts. And then we're going to circle back around with a slower, maybe lower elevation view on a, on a couple things. And I want to look at three questions when we do that, when we come back around. And so if you're a note taker, here's the questions I want to answer this morning, the text answers for us. Number one, what does it mean to be anointed? What does it mean to be anointed? Number two, what is the relationship between the Father and the Son? And number three, what is eternal life? What does it mean to be anointed? What is the relationship between the Father and the Son? And what is eternal life? So, and then we're going to share in this beautiful remembrance meal, um, communion together. So ready? Here we go. We're going to go fast, kind of fast. High flyby. Here we go. Verse 18. It says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. So what does John mean by the last hour? What does that mean? Um, The word hour could be season, 
could be translated season, time, or times. Um, and in, there's, there's several uh, passages in the New Testament. Um, I'll, I'll just refer to a couple. Acts 2, 17, when Peter is uh, preaching at Pentecost, he quotes the prophet Joel, and he says, it is the last days. What you're witnessing before you people, um, we're not crazy, we're not drunk. This is the last days when you remember that thing. And, and, and Peter applies a last days message to his day. Peter quotes Joel. And then Hebrews 1, 2, just another one, a quick one. The, the writer says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, referring to God. And so to the New Testament authors, they thought it was the last hour, the last days, the last times. And so since that was 2,000 years ago and Jesus hasn't come back yet, um, we can still think of ourselves that way, like the New Testament author. They weren't dumb. They knew what they were talking about. They were inspired by God. So somehow that's true. So this is the period between Jesus' first coming and his second coming, his last coming, because he's only going to come one more time. Um, he's going to come and he'll bring his kingdom. There will be a day when he comes, the day of the Lord. There will be a day. And he's going to come and he's going to reclaim the nations and he's going to judge uh, all people and he's going to bring his kingdom and vindicate his name. Um, and he's going to make his home with us here as we prayed, as we sang about in the new heaven and new earth. So when John says it's the last hour, this is how I like to think about it. Um, it's the last hour before that day. You know, in Jewish reckoning, the day started in the evening, and then, it, um, then there was morning later, and they counted the hours, you know, the first hour, the third hour. Jesus was uh, uh, crucified or died on the ninth hour. That would have been three o'clock in the afternoon. So I like to think of the last hour was right before the, right before the evening, and it's, and it's the last hour now, right before that last day, right before that evening. And it's going to be dark at first, maybe, um, and the evening will fall, but then it will end in daylight, and the sun will come. The sun will come. And uh, it will be the final seventh day rest. It'll be the final day when we can celebrate him forever. Um, the last day, the day of the Lord. And so it's been the last hour for 2,000 years. It's the longest hour I've ever heard of. Um, next, next question to look at, next thing to look at. And as you have heard, it says, as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So where did they hear that? It's a question. Just as a reminder, I believe John is, is uh, referring to maybe several things, but he's at least referring to Jesus when he's talking to his disciples at the Mount of Olives. When they ask him, like, what will be the signs of this last, these last days? What will be the sign of the end of the age? When you're going to bring the kingdom down? When you're, going to, when you're going to throw down Jesus? When is that? When's that going to happen? And he answers them in Matthew 24, 23 through 24. And he says, then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. It's Matthew 24. So the question is, how do you connect this passage with maybe an end-time view of an, of, of an antichrist figure? Um, so first and second John are the only places in all of Scripture that mention the word Antichrist. They do it four, uh, he does it four times in those two books, and I'll submit that to your study. You can look at it. Um, 
And often uh, it's associated with the man of lawlessness. You, further study, you can, you can go look at 2 Thessalonians and read about the man of lawlessness. And it's um, often associated with the Antichrist, even though it doesn't call him that. But it's associated with that, meaning people think it's the same person. And then it's also associated with in Revelation 13, the sea beast, the beast that comes out of the sea. That's also considered to be the Antichrist. And there's a lot of different views on all this. And, but obviously here, John is saying very clearly that the Antichrists, or Christs, plural, have come. And furthermore, that, that is how they know it's the last hour. Jesus said, that's how you know. Um, so not to go down, I'm not going to go down to uh, an eschatological bunny trail very far. There's a lot of opinions, a lot of opinions in this room, I'm sure, that are varying. Um, the hard part about predicting the future is that it hasn't happened yet. I think that was a Yogi, Yogi Bear quote. Um, we don't know exactly. There's a lot of opinions, but I'm going to share the way I think, the way I read this. Um, so the Bible is an ancient Near Eastern book that is written, it's, it's a text, it's circular thinking, circular, um, not linear. And so... Um, all the things we see in Revelation, we see set up in Genesis. There's patterns, like in the first chapters of Genesis 1 through 11, uh, to be specific. We see patterns set up that repeat themselves over and over again um, in Scripture, or, um, patterns and types. Um, and so I think there's type, typology and recapitulation in the Bible. And there are multiple iterations of Babylon, for instance, starting with the Tower of Babel to the, uh, Babylon the Great and the Revelation. And it's just uh, circles, right? And, and the temple and the priesthood, and we could keep going, the day of the Lord and so on. And so the theme of Antichrist is no exception. And I believe that um, in the last 2,000 years, there's been recapitulations of and reiterations and retyping uh, of, of the Antichrist until one day it'll culminate in maybe a, the last iteration, the last type, whatever that will be. And so that's what I believe. I don't know if you guys agree with that, but too bad. Um, we're going to move on. So there you go. That's my take. I think that's what is going on here. That's how there could be uh, Antichrist 2,000 years ago and now and in the future. Recapitulation. Here's a profile of what Antichrist is or Antichrists are from John. Um, and you can look at all these. We're going to look at them later in the series. Um, Antichrists, anti-Messiah. They are liars. They're deceivers. They deny that Jesus was the Messiah. They deny the Father and the Son. They're called false prophets. Later in this letter, we'll read later. They deny that Jesus, the Messiah, came in the flesh from God. They are coming and they've already come. And they're always pictured as going out from believers. They're leaving. They were part of us, and now they're not anymore. They've went out from us. We see that in verse 19. For time's sake, we're not going to camp out in 19. So we're still flying by. Kind of slower than I thought. We're still flying by. Um, now let's go to Messiah. Like, what does it mean? So what does this term antichrist mean? Um, what did John, why did John use it? Um, so as you know, I'm sure, um, Christ is the Greek translation for the Hebrew word Messiah. Um, and Christ isn't Jesus' last name. It's not his first name. Um, when you call him Christ, it's a title you're using, not a proper name, not, a, not his name. Um, so um, I want to use the term Messiah just for a second here because um, I think it's helpful to kind of think about it differently. To know what an anti-Messiah is, we need to know what a Messiah is. And the word 
The word Messiah means, um, what does it mean? So a lot, a lot of people think it's maybe just savior, deliverer. Um, I think that idea is in, in there, but that's not what John would have thought of first. That's not what his readers would have thought of first. Um, what they would have thought of first is a ruler or a king, a king who's coming. Um, anybody who is anointed as a king, the term Messiah, or it, it literally means anointed one, one who is anointed. So it could refer to anyone who held office. For instance, Cyrus the Persian, who was in charge of the Medo-Persian Empire, who allowed the Jews to return home, he was called a Messiah in Isaiah 45. Herod in uh, extra-biblical text is called a Messiah. Uh, Caesar is called a, Messi a Messiah. Evil and good kings are all called Messiah in Hebrew language, in, in the Bible, and in other texts. Um, that's what they thought of as a king. A king is coming. Two different groups of people also were anointed. Uh, well, two different people were anointed. They also would have thought of priests. Priests were anointed. Um, so the expected hope of a Messiah is that, it, uh, or this Christ, was that he would come and liberate the Jews and bring the promised kingdom to bear. And that's, in fact, what Jesus did, right? But they just didn't think that his coronation would be a crown of thorns. And they didn't expect that his enthronement would be on a cross. But that's what that's how Jesus brought in his kingdom. It was unexpected. It wasn't the triumphal entry that they thought it would be. An antichrist, then, in effect, is someone who's trying to strip Jesus of his title and claim on the earth as king, as a priest. Um, it's stripping him of his title, um, his place, so hold that in your mind because we're going to go back to that. It's important. So skip to verse 20. For time's sake, I'm sorry. I submit it to your further study. There's a lot here. But verse 20, we're still doing a flyby. Um, but it says, but you have been anointed by the Holy One. So we're going to talk about anointing in a second, but I want to focus on this word, Holy One, the Holy One. And so whenever you read scripture, whenever you see a title for God, it's not just random, like, uh, just a whim that John thought of. I think Holy One will suffice for today. I'll use that term. No, it, it means something in the text. It means something functionally. Holy One means something here. And, and so what is, who is the Holy One? And when they heard or used that term, what would they have been thinking? There's 19 references in Isaiah to the Holy One of Israel. More than any other place in Scripture in, is in Isaiah. Um, and if you did a word search, you'd find that almost every case when Holy One is used, it's always put, putting Yahweh God as the Holy One in comparison to evil, in comparison to other evil nations, in comparison to um, evil gods from other nations. Um, and uh, that's the context it's used. Isaiah 31.1 is one example. I'll just read it. Woe to those who go down to Egypt. There's the evil nation it's talking about. For help, for help. And rely on her horses who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel. There's that term. Or consult with Yahweh. Holy means other or set apart, right? Like other than, set apart. So it's saying, whatever Holy One is used, it's saying Yahweh God is above all other gods. He is separate. 
He is holy. No one is like him. That's why this is used. So why did John use it? I submit it's the same reason. He is showing that this holy one who anoints you is other than. It's, he's in opposition to the evil um, from the antichrists here. It's in opposition. So that's why he uses that term. So um, that was our quick flyby. Now we're going to look at their questions. Number one, what does it mean to be anointed? What does it mean to be anointed? So here's a question for us. If Messiah or Christ means uh, anointed one, um, as an anointed king or priest in the Old Testament, that's what that means. What does John mean when he says, but you have been anointed? Sounds a lot like he's saying that his readers are too, are also messiahs. That's what it sounds like. Because that's what Messiah means, anointed. Um, it sounds like that because I think that's what he's saying, actually. Um, but you are little Christs. You are little messiahs. Um, it's plural here. Does that make anyone here uncomfortable? Like when I first thought about this, like am I really going to say this? It sounds a little uncomfortable, like a little, feel a little queasy about saying that. Um, if you're a Christian, you are anointed. And you are little Christ. You're a little Messiah in the world. And I was thinking about this. Have you ever been an apprentice before? I used to be in the sheet metal industry and I apprenticed under like journeyman, the whole thing. Very traditional. That was cool. Or have you been on a job where you had to be trained on the job? Same thing. You're being apprenticed, whether you called it that or not. I used to, when I was 20 years old, I worked at a pizzeria. It was an East Coast-style pizzeria. The, the boss, he was a New Jersey guy, um, and he was rough around the edges, and he was tough. And I'm just like this Colorado kid, and I don't know anything. And he had it. He was, he was always packing a 9 millimeter just because he, in case somebody walked in he didn't like or something. And um, he was trying to train me on this cash register that I think he brought from the 50s because it didn't, it didn't have any, like, uh, uh, didn't, didn't give you the change, and I'm horrible at math, and I'm intimidated by him, so I'm not asking questions. I'm like, sure, I get it, yeah, but I don't really get it. And so he's trying to teach me the cash register. And then finally, one day of the day came when the, the customer came, and he said, all right, you know, you try it. And I'm, I just froze like I've never seen that cash register, register before in my life. And, and that was my job on the job training. I really failed miserably. Um, I don't know if you've had successful job trainings or, or miserable ones, but um, I just Maybe it doesn't work for you, that analogy, but I was just thinking, like, as, as a Christian, you are an apprentice Messiah. You are an apprentice Christ. Um, you, are an, you are like an anointed king or like an anointed priest. And why, um, why were these two roles um, or, or types of people anointed? What did it signify? It signified that they were to represent Yahweh, God, in the world. That's what a priest did. That's what a king did to represent him into the world. That should make us think um, of another passage. Maybe, maybe you already thought about this. First Peter 2 says, for Christians, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a kingly priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. You are, if you're a Christian, you are part of a kingly priesthood to proclaim, to go out like little messiahs. This is why Jesus told his disciples, John 14, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do works that I do and greater because I'm going back to the Father, right? 
So Jesus, here's the, here's, the, here's the final thought. Jesus is the first fruits, and we follow him. What Jesus was first, we are too. He was anointed as the Messiah, and we are also anointed by the Spirit. He was the Son of God. We are sons and daughters of God. He was a high priest and king. We are a royal priesthood. He was a servant. We are servants. He was a prophet. We bring the word to the world. He was the image of the living God. We bear his image to the world. He died. We die. He was raised. We will be raised. And so on. So in this passage, John is contrasting you have human antichrists with human anointed ones, little Christs, us, believers. He's contrasting the two. It's pretty cool how he's doing that. Um, Question number two. I guess we're still going fast, sorry. Question number two. What is the relationship between the Father and the Son? What is the relationship between the Father and the Son? Let's read 1 John 22 again. Through 24 says, where am I? Okay. Who is the liar but he who, not, he, he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. So what is the relationship? Um, Another analogy I thought of. So have you ever met someone that you just really clicked with? You know, someone, a new person at work, new friend, school, whatever. And uh, you really click with them. They just got you. They were easy. They got your humor. Um, you got theirs. And, um, but then they brought a friend along with, like you're going to go out with them. And then they brought another friend along with them that you never met before. And you just found their friend, like they you didn't click with their friend. They were kind of, actually, you find them kind of annoying, maybe. Um, or, or it's kind of a bummer. It's like, what do you do? Uh, or like, maybe if that doesn't work for you, maybe neighbors. Maybe you've had neighbors, and you really like, clicked with this one neighbor next door. And, but their spouse, not so much. Like, you could take them or leave them. But, and you really want to invite them over, but the, if you have one over, then you have to have both of them over. And so it's like kind of a dilemma. So you just keep the relationship in the backyard across the fence, maybe. Um, and I found out like this past, uh, I don't know, recently, that I think I'm that spouse. Um, I think I'm one of those guys. So, so our, it just happened actually yesterday. Um, me and Lori were in the backyard, and our neighbors, I, I love them, um, but... Uh, I'm not sure if it's returned or not, but anyway, um, so like they, they, they acknowledge me, they say hi, whatever, um, and then they talk to Lori for like 30 minutes um, because she's the agreeable one, and I'm not. So like, um, so I think uh, the onus is on me. I'm probably just kind of doing my thing out here. I don't want to talk to you maybe, but um, so, so we haven't gotten together very often, uh, maybe a couple times when we first moved in. So I don't know if that relates to you, but if you have one, you have the other. So I'm sure they'd love to have Lori over, but they feel bad because I, they don't want me over there. So they don't, they don't invite us. Um, so in John's day, the Jewish leaders had no problem accepting the father. It was the son they couldn't deal with. The father was the one they could relate to, but the son was the disagreeable one. In our day, I wonder if it's the other way around. Jesus is the one we get along with. It's the Father who's the grouchy one. 
He's the Old Testament God who punishes. He's the grumpy old man in the sky. But what a friend we have in Jesus. But John seems to be saying that if you get one, you get the other. And if you don't accept one, you don't get the other. They're a package deal. So Jesus isn't just the loving one, and the Father isn't just the punishing one. Yahweh God, the Father, sent Jesus because he loves. What Jesus actually means, Yeshua in Hebrew, it means Yahweh saves. It's, it's him doing the work through Jesus. It's his love. John 3.16 is about the Father's love for us. The Father's the loving one, too, right? Um, in John's gospel and his letters especially, if you, if you did a, if you just, Maybe submit this for your study too. 80 to 90% of the time, Jesus refers, he's not mentioned as an end to himself, but a means to, a, to the Father. Like 10% of the time, he's mentioned as an end in John's gospel. 80 to 90% of the time, it's, he's, he's a way. He's the way to the Father. Because the Father is who Jesus wants us to be with because he loves us. And we get Jesus too. That's awesome. The Antichrist of John's day wouldn't accept the Son, so thereby didn't accept the one who sent him. Do we do the opposite? Do we somehow think that Yahweh God of the Old Testament isn't the same God who sent his Son out of love, or, who, or Jesus who came to die on a cross? It's all or nothing. We, we, um, we get the Father and the Son, or we don't get either one. Question number three, what is eternal life? What is eternal life? John loves the phrase eternal life. He uses it more than any other author in the Bible, like by far, by far. And what's interesting is every time he uses it in the context, um, around the context of eternal life, there's always like this father and son there. The father loved the world, gave his son to bring eternal life. That's one example. And it's all over. Every time you see eternal life, you usually see the Son and the Father. Not every time, but most, like 90%. And that's interesting. Um, it's knowing both of them relationally. John 17, 3, it, uh, he, Jesus defines eternal life. It's knowing the Father and the one whom he has sent. It's a relationship. It's connected, the Father and the Son. So what's eternal life? So um, do you guys remember back in elementary school when you were like um, doing parts of speech? Like wait, think, think back for some of us it was a really long time ago. No offense, you're not old. Um, but some of us was nearer, but like parts of speech. So what's a noun? Person, place, or thing. What's a verb? Action. What's an adjective? Yeah. What's a past participle? No, don't answer that. Um, so... Um, so noun, verb, uh, noun is person, place, or thing. A verb is an action word. An adjective describes. So what part of speech is eternal life? Eternal, eternal. It's an adjective. And then life, it's a noun. If you put them together, it's a type, it, it's, it's a type of life, right? So eternal life, what is it? Um, so, so here's the last question of this little English quiz. Is this eternal life a person, a place, or a thing? You, you can just think about that. Um, you don't have to answer it. Is the eternal life a person, a place, or a thing? What did John think? For God 
so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What is this eternal life that, that the believers get in Jesus? Um, when you think of eternal life, uh, what is it? What are, you, what are you getting out of the deal? Um, so let's take a look. We're going to take a look at a couple instances in John, in, in this letter, 1 John, of eternal life. Um, and it starts, we're not going to look at all of them for time's sake, but we're going to look uh, at that, the first instance. It's, it's, you can turn back with me. It's 1 John 1 through 3, where we see the first mention of it. So we're just going to kind of, what does John mean by eternal life? So here we go. Um, John 1, or 1 John 1, 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our own hands concerning the word of life. And this is just like his prologue to his gospel. And what is the word? Who is the word in his, in his, in his gospel? It's Jesus, right? The word became flesh and dwelt among us, the word of life. And then it says, verse 2, the life, this life, was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest. What do we know was with the Father from John's gospel and then was made manifest? Jesus. Jesus was with the Father and was made manifest. Interesting. And then we're going to look at uh, verse, uh, today's chapter, we've already looked at one reference to, to eternal life. So that's in uh, 2, 24 and 25. Let's look at that. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. So the question is, what does this, what does the this refer to in verse 25? Does it refer to um, you will abide in the Son and the Father? Or does it refer to eternal life? Abide in the Son and the Father, and this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. And I would argue that it's referring to both of them as equal thoughts. Abiding in the Son and the Father is eternal life, just like John 17, 3 says. And then last reference, and there's others, I, I submit that to you for a study. Just look at all the references in John's gospel and first and second, third John of eternal life and see what you see. But the last one is the uh, second to last verse. It's 520. It says this, John says this, and we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. So what did John think the eternal life was? A person, a place, or a thing? In 1 John, he expands that definition um, of eternal life, maybe more beyond what we've thought of before, maybe. It's, it's not only knowing the Father and the one he sent, but eternal life is somehow embodied in this person, the person of Jesus. He is eternal life. So is the Father, because if you look at verse 20, you're not really sure, does the, uh, if, you, if you do, like, a, okay, does the him there refer to Jesus, or does the he refer to the Father? And it's not, it's not really clear, and I think it's purposeful 
purposefully vague um, and specific at the same time saying, yes, the Father and the Son are eternal life. It's yes to God. He is the true God in, in eternal life. It's connecting. And, and, so, and so like he is, God is eternal life. When you believe in Jesus, you get not just Jesus, but you get the Father and the Son. Eternal life is being with and knowing and embodied Yahweh God, the Father and Son. So eternal life is something God, the Father, and Son are, not just something they give us. It's what they are, not just streets of gold. Um, not No more crying. It's what they are, not just a place called heaven. It's what they are, not just living forever without dying, not an endless timeline. Um, for those of you who believe in Jesus, what is it that you think you have? Is it merely a get out of hell into heaven card? That's not eternal life. Is it no more pain, no more sin, no more tears, sickness, death? That's not eternal life. Those are the effects of eternal life. Being with the person. Being with God. Being with the Son. Being with the Father in the Spirit. Okay, so we need to wrap all this together. Um, and I was thinking about this, and it just kind of, I, I, God, I don't know, brought me to, there's another passage in Scripture, can you think of it, where you see um, all these elements and words together. You see the Father, you see the Son, the Holy One reference. You see an Antichrist who is leaving um, Christ and his followers, and then you see eternal life. There's another passage that has all those things in it. Anybody have any guesses? You get a bonus point. I'll take, I'll buy you a coffee card. Anybody? Okay. It's okay. You didn't fail. John 6. Would you turn with me to John 6? It's Peter's confession. So the context is Jesus has just amassed this crowd of followers and he's teaching like the hardest teaching he ever gave. Like, you must drink my blood and eat my flesh, he says. And then so many disciples leave him. So many followers leave him. He was not the Messiah. Everyone thought he'd be. And so that's the context. And, and I'll pick it up. And, and, and John 6, 64, right in the middle of the context, Jesus starts speaking. He says, but there are some of you who, who do not believe. And this is the last section of scripture we'll be in before we go into um, um, taking communion together. Um, so here we go. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. So in this passage, we see people turning away, leaving. They were part of the group, and they're leaving. And when the teaching gets hard, when it gets confusing, I mean, it's, it, that's an abhorrent teaching to a Jew to eat the flesh and drink the blood um, of a person. It's like against the law. It's against everything that makes sense to us too, right? And when it starts becoming clear that they're not going to get the political leader, the ruler, the king that they wanted, they all depart. Just like the Antichrist in our passage. Verse 65. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. And there goes Jesus again, talking about his Father. He could not stop talking about his Father in John. And there's a purpose for that. It's always the Father sent me, 
and I'm sending you to the Father. It's always that, and here, and here it is again. And then in verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And just like, just like before, here's more people who are there, and they left, just like the Antichrist. 67, so Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And, and these are his closest friends. And I'm wondering, like, John, who wrote this, was there. He was one of the 12. And I'm wondering, I was thinking, like, did he want to go? Like, how many of the disciples thought that was a gross teaching, too? And they didn't really want to be there either, but none of them were brave enough to, like, stand up and walk out. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not. Um, thank God they stayed. But it was Peter who was bold enough. I love Peter. He's always, he's always the one who speaks up first. And he, he says, well, where else are we going to go? He, he has this beautiful response in, in verse 68, 69. Let's, let's look at it. And it says this, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of what? Eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the what? The Holy One of God. There it is. Where else will we go? Where else can we go? Like you, there's nowhere better I can think of going, Peter says. You have the words of eternal life. And then the statement Jesus or Peter makes here is in one fell swoop. He's saying Jesus is the Yahweh God in the Old Testament that's referred to the Holy One. And he's the Messiah in one statement. And I'm following you. And uh, it's an amazing statement of faith, even though Peter didn't really get it, and later on he screws up, but he's, you know, he's the leader of the church. He speaks up. And so it's an amazing statement. And then verse 70 through 71, and Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the 12? And yet one of you is a devil. And he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. And here we see the ultimate betrayal of Jesus, um, Judas acting as the chief antichrist in the story. Um, if anyone was in, it was this guy, but he left, right? No, you can't be closer to Jesus, really, and, and still leave um, like Judas. He wasn't, the Jesus, he wasn't the Messiah he expected. He wasn't the ruler, the king he expected. All these people expected something better, or at least what they thought was better. But they left. So how about you? Do you have someplace better to be? Is there somewhere else you can think of going? Is there something else you need that Jesus isn't giving you? Someone else you can go to? Is Jesus the Messiah you hoped he'd be? Is he leading your life the way you want him to? What about that ongoing illness you have? What about that ongoing conflict with your neighbors? What about that ongoing conflict with your family member, your friend? What about your wayward child that's still wayward and God hasn't brought him back? And on and on the list goes. Is, is Jesus in control? Is he the one? Is, is God uh, in control? Is, is the Father in control? Is Jesus the Messiah you wanted? Um, why are you still single? Why... Um, is your marriage not what you thought it'd be? Why every time you feel like you build a little savings, uh, then your uh, appliance breaks and, and you lose it all again? Why? Like, why, why is that happening? Is Jesus the Messiah that you can trust in? Is he the one you want? And see, see, like Judas and those who fell away, they didn't want a person. They wanted a place. 
They wanted a thing. They didn't want a person. They wanted a place. They wanted a promised land. They wanted what all that would bring. They wanted Roman occupation to leave. They wanted uh, no taxes. They wanted all that comfort. They didn't want the person. What do we want when we look at Jesus? Is he the Messiah we were hoping in? Is Jesus going to come through for us? Where else could we go, though, right? Where else could we go? Um, If you got your money and if you got your job and you got the other place and the other circumstance, are those things better? Can you come to the Father and Son for eternal life first, even if he never puts you in a place of comfort? Um, Can we come to the person without the place and the stuff and the things? John says that you have been anointed. We, as believers, have been anointed by the Holy One. And in him, we know all that we need to know. The spirits, the spirits are already anointed us. He's indwelling us. He's given us all the knowledge we need. John says to let what you heard from the beginning uh, uh, abide in you. Namely, that Jesus is the only one who has eternal life. The only one who is eternal life. The Father sent his Son. He gave him that you might believe the Father and the Son, the one he sent, and know him and have eternal life in them. Um, do we believe it? As we come to the table this morning um, of remembrance, remembering what Jesus has done, remembering the love of the Father and the love of the Son represented on the cross, his death and resurrection. Is Jesus the Messiah you want? Some of us need to reflect upon that. So, 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 as, as, so the band's going to come up. You guys can come up now. And, and they're going to play. And while they're playing... Um, you can take time, but maybe some of you need to reflect upon, is Jesus truly the Messiah that you have expected him to be? Because he is who he is. Um, maybe you don't have a place or, a th- or things that you want, but he is the person he is. And have you come to him as a person? Um, is he your Messiah? Because um, he wants you, whether you want him or not. He wants you. Um, and some of us need to reflect on our anointing. Like, do you believe that he has anointed you as a little representative of him in this world? And are you living that way? Um, are, is that what this death meant? Um, is it, it's not just saving your tuchus and getting it into heaven, but it's actually um, saving you to something, an anointing to go out into the world and proclaim him to the world. Um, is that what it means for you? And so some of us need to reflect on a couple things, and I'll just let, let that happen. And, and so Scott and the band's going to play. Um, and it's just when you're ready, come up and take the, the bread and the juice and uh, take, take those um, when you're ready. Um, and, uh, and then we're going to sing one last song.